Okay, good morning and welcome wherever it is you're listening to us across Australia or maybe even further afield. This is Marcus Paul in the morning and I'm super excited to be back doing what I love the most. That's talking to you and hearing your thoughts on the latest news and issues that affect you. So how's it all going to work? Well, step one. If you can hear me live, you've already either logged on to Starter FM and clicked Listen Live, or maybe you've downloaded the iHeartRadio app and you've got us on there. Don't forget, we're also on TuneIn and other radio apps as well. Look, the second step is interacting with us for now, and that is online via the Marcus Paul in the Morning Facebook page where you can leave your comments, your thoughts, criticisms or otherwise. You know I love hearing your responses and getting reactions from all of my listeners and followers. We will, in the coming weeks, set up our open line and bring in your live calls. But until then, just let us know your thoughts on the Marcus Paul in the Morning Facebook page. Now, as I say, we are live between 7am and 9am on starterfm.com.au and, of course, through those radio apps. And each day, we will podcast the show after around 10am. At this stage, as we we step uh, set things up, we're only on for a couple of hours, but, of course, we will be increasing that most likely to a three or maybe even four-hour show in the near future. So, what will the program be all about? Well, I can tell you, for those who used to listen uh, to me on 2SM and that Super Radio Network, you know what to expect. News, my views and yours, along with interviews with various politicians and others, many who don't get a fair hearing on mainstream talk radio. Am I a lefty? Well, I'm often accused of being too left. Uh, Let me say this. If it means do I want a change in governments, more accountability from those who have the keys to the Treasury, less corruption and pork barrelling of our money, well, then if you have to label it, I guess I am. It's up to you. But what I am about as a journalist is to cover as best as I can all sides of an argument or an issue and give you my take on it, hear your take and then... People can make up their own minds. I figure that is exactly how a democracy is supposed to work. Okay, so today is Monday, February the 7th. On the show, I'm going to catch up with the new New South Wales Independent MP, Helen Dalton. Now, Helen and I have spoken over a number of years, and I did dub her the Marcus Paul in the Morning Water Warrior for her work in trying to set up a searchable water register, that is, who owns what, and where do they come from, what do they do. Now, also, I applaud Helen's strong stance on issues relating to water harvesting on the Murray-Darling and other issues including regional health and also, of course, alleged corruption within the National Party of New South Wales. Anyway, the latest on Helen, and I'll speak to her in the next hour, uh, she has left the Shooters, Fishers and Farmers Party after untenable disagreements between herself and the party. Now, the announcement was made in a statement at 4.30 last Thursday by the Shooters, Fishers and Farmers. They say that Mrs Dalton agreed to resign from the party and sit in Parliament as an independent MP. Now, of course, we know that Helen Dalton won the seats off the National Party with a massive swing back in 2019. Now, Murray had formerly been a safe coalition seat until 
Helen campaigned on the issue of water management. Now, the party pointed to some of Mrs Dalton's recent actions for a reason for parting ways, saying it was quite contrary to what the Shooters, Fishers and Farmers stands for and what we promised to do for the people of the Murray. Robert Borsak, who's the party leader, said we wish Helen all the best in her career in politics without the party. He said we invested a significant amount of resources and trust in winning the seat off the Nationals, so it is a shame it's ended this way. Now, Mr Borsak said the Shooters, Fishers and Farmers will again contest the seat of Murray in 2023, so next year, but they'll throw in a new candidate. Well, good luck. Helen's pretty popular. The party is also committed to continue to run a select committee into the water trading inquiry and will, quote, rerun the water register bill and negotiate its carriage in the lower house with the government. All right, well, we will get Helen's response to all of that on the program in the next hour. Uh, Also, I'll go through some of the latest news. I want to say a few things about the late's great Shane Keith Warne. I've also admired Warney not only as a, a cricketer, but of course also as a media commentator and personality. I'm kind of still in a bit of a shock, to be honest. Warney was only a couple of years older. I'll also have a chat about the cost of living, particularly how it's leading to so-called mortgage stress in areas such as Western Sydney. The floods, well, we need to talk about that after how such events, which are supposedly once in a lifetime, are becoming even more frequent. I mean, you look out to Richmond and Windsor and and various areas, even in my own backyard in Western Sydney. Uh, Bridges are under, roads are closed, and it's the second time it's happened. We'll, We'll basically hear this time last year. It's like Groundhog Day. Why is there a damn reluctance to perhaps build new infrastructure? such as raised bridges in flood zones. One thing I will say, though, first up, is the current situation should be a reminder, I think, to the New South Wales government in particular, that further zoning of land for residential development in the Richmond and Windsor areas in northwest Sydney need to be placed on the back burner, or maybe even for now forgotten about entirely. I mean, let's be honest. Would you build or buy in any new developments out there? Imagine the insurance costs they would most likely be prohibitive. Okay, so there's a little of what's coming up on the first show today. Oh, thank you too to everybody who sent me some comments for a starter shout. (laughs) Uh, That's a shout out on our Facebook page. I'll do those shout outs very soon. Alrighty, Marcus Paul in the morning across Australia on Starter and iHeartRadio. Okay, welcome back. Marcus Paul in the morning live on Starter FM and iHeartRadio. Nice to have your company on this Monday morning. It is the seventh day of March. Uh, Let's talk a little bit about the cost of living. I noticed uh, in the press over the weekend, 60 suburbs are teetering on a mortgage knife edge. We're talking about what they call mortgage stress. That is... Uh, people's income is not keeping pace with the amount of repayments they need to make to a bank. And I'm going through some of the suburbs or the postcodes where more than two-thirds of homeowners are in mortgage stress. It's crazy. I'll go to those in a moment. But new research 
has revealed 60 Sydney suburbs where more than two-thirds of homeowners are in mortgage stress and they're living on a so-called financial knife edge. Now, this research has been put together by Digital Finance Analytics and also revealed close to two in five homeowners in New South Wales are already in mortgage stress. I'll repeat that. Close to two in five homeowners are already in mortgage stress in New South Wales, and this figure could climb closer to half with even a small change in interest rates, such as an interest rate rise. Now, what is mortgage stress? Well, here's a better definition. It's defined by the DFA research, that's the Digital Finance Analytics Research, as homeowners spending more on their repayments and other living costs than they were earning. Okay, so they're spending more on their home repayments and general living costs than what they're actually bringing in. It's a a concern, it really is. Analyst Martin North told Sydney Press over the weekend this was resulting in homeowners eating into whatever savings they had, racking up credit card debt, and we all know there's no worse debt out there than credit card debt, or drawing down on other loans, such as refinancing their mortgages, simply to stay afloat. It's a, it's a real worry, it is. I mean, we all know that real wage growth over the last few years has not kept pace with inflation. I don't care what spin uh, Josh and the Treasury put on it. That's the Federal Treasurer. I don't care what spin he puts on it. There are real issues out there in the heartland of Australia where people simply are not coping. It's because everything is right. Look at the petrol prices at the moment. What are you paying for petrol? I have never, ever spent so much money trying to put petrol in my car as ever before. It's nuts. It really is. And, and for those who are renting in particular, you'll, you know, if you're lucky enough to get a place because we have an issue with housing shortage, which I'll talk about a little later this week as well, um, you you know, your rents, they're almost as much or even more in some cases than actually repaying a mortgage. It is a worry. Now, homeowners were particularly stretched in parts of Western Sydney, including Blacktown and the southwest of Sydney, where many residents, I'll I'll remember to turn my phone off later, where many residents, we're told, have been affected by industries that were hardest hit by lockdowns and closed international borders as well, of course. More than two-thirds of homeowners in suburbs, including Chipping Norton, Liverpool, Stanhope Gardens, Hoxton Park and Blacktown, among others, were classified as quote-unquote stressed. Even small gradual increases in loan rates would be enough to put many residents in these areas in a position where they would have to make hard financial choices or, in extreme cases, sell their homes to avoid defaulting on their home loans. Other homeowners who were also vulnerable to even the smallest interest rate rises were those who purchased during last year's record housing boom. (laughs) Yeah, there's an old uh, chestnut. Housing boom. I shudder each and every time I hear that concept. Close to one, because you know, when things balloon and boom, eventually something's going to go bust. Close to one in six Sydney home buyers spent more than $2 million on their properties last year, which was close to double the amount who bought in this category before the pandemic. Data from CoreLogic shows this and 
It also comes as economists warned that banks were likely to raise interest rates this year in 2022, despite the Reserve Bank keeping the cash rate on hold. Many homeowners don't realise just how much of a precarious, precarious, that's the word, or dangerous, if you like, position that they're actually in. Because why? Well, they've become acclimatised to taking on massive debt. Oh, it's a worry, it really is. I like this analogy from CoreLogic researchers. It's like putting a frog in cold water and heating it so slowly it doesn't notice. Eventually, it will boil to death. In Sydney, people are spending more and more because they're used to seeing everybody else do it. (laughs) Keeping up with the Joneses could end up with the, the backside of your pants out. Goodness sake. All right, well, uh, CoreLogic researcher Tim Lawless said most Australian households were managing their debts fairly well, and the average ratio of repayments to income was actually the lowest since the 1990s. Really? Well, I don't think that's the case in Sydney. I mean, Sydney is a special case because the average property price is more than 10 times the average income. Let me repeat that. The average property price in Sydney is more than 10 times the average income. A household with a $2 million mortgage would pay close to $13,000 more in repayments with just a 1% rise in lending rates in some instances. That's according to the analysis. Boy, oh boy. I mean, debt, housing stress... It's a worry going forward. I think it is. And where is stress the worst? Well, I'll read out some of the suburbs. Abbotsbury, Bosley Park, Adenza Park, Prairie Wood, St John's Park, areas around Dean Park, Hasselgrove, Plumpton, Oakhurst, around the Liverpool area, Cashula, Chipping Norton, Lanier, Moorbank, Prestons, Warwick Farm, Stanhope Gardens and Glenwood. Areas around Mount Druitt, Shelby, Tregear, Wayland, Blackett, Emerton. I mean, if you think of these areas, the postcode 2770, these were once considered some of the most affordable in Sydney. Now we're told that mortgage stress is rife there. Areas around Hoxton Park, Cecil Hills, Horningsea Park, Camden, Cordor, Cobbity, Oakdale, Grasmere, all of these areas, also in Quakers Hill and Acacia Gardens, out around the St. Clair Erskine Park area, and down into areas including uh, just north of Campbelltown, Green Valley, Sadlier, Miller, Cartwright, and Ashcroft. And then, of course, Minto, Raby, these are the areas near Campbelltown, St. Andrews, Varroville, and then also St. Mary's, Oxley Park, and Colleton. Uh, is it any wonder? In 2021, of Sydney homes, that's 17.4% of Sydney homes last year, sold for more than $2 million. 17.4%. Let's go back a decade. 2012, only 2.2% of Sydney homes sold for $2 million plus. Is there any wonder there's so much mortgage stress out there? Marcus Paul in the morning, live on Starter and the iHeartRadio app and You've got us on there. Don't forget, we're also on TuneIn and other radio apps as well. (laughs) All right, welcome back on this Monday. Marcus Paul in the morning, live on Startup and the iHeartRadio app. Nice to have you company. I'll get into those Starter shout-outs for this Monday morning for you in just a couple of moments. But 
Look, I, um, part of what we are doing, of course, uh, needs to <laughs> be paid for. So um, we have sponsors. And I'm very, very happy to say that one of our first sponsors on board is a wonderful organisation called Fox Safety Consulting. Now, Workplace Health and Safety, WHS, or even Occupational Health and Safety, OHS, depending on what state and territory you're in, is a requirement of every trading business in the country. There's no getting around it. That's why your business, no matter how big or how small, needs Fox Safety Consulting. Workplace health and safety or occupational health and safety can be confusing and at times very frustrating. To know it is, I mean, it's hard. It's difficult to understand and know exactly what it is you need to do and how to do it. That's why your business, no matter how big or how small, needs Fox Safety Consulting. At Fox Safety Consulting, Rick and his team will take the time to get your business and understand how it operates. That's so that they can provide the very best in safety for your workplace. They'll design customised practical solutions to fit your needs and make sure your business remains compliant. But equally... As importantly, they'll keep your workers safe. Fox Safety Consulting's national network of consultants are now ready to support your safety journey. Already building a strong reputation, Fox Safety Consulting is currently working with micro-businesses along with governments right across the country. So, get in touch today. Get in touch with them to see how they can help you and your business. To make an inquiry, go to foxsafety.com.au and choose Fox Safety Consulting to support your safety journey. Alrighty, uh, so please support those who support us here at Marcus Paul in the morning for any inquiries on sponsorship. All you need to do is send us an email, starterfm.com.au. All right, welcome back. Marcus Paul in the morning on this Monday. Thank you for tuning in and thank you for listening in to the podcast. Don't forget we are live 7am to 9am each day on starterfm.com.au and, of course, on your favourite radio app. Do yourself a favour, download already, if you haven't, the iHeartRadio app. Now, something that I I will do every day um, and the way to get your feedback uh, to me is via the Marcus Paul in the morning Facebook page at this stage and I want to do what we call starter shouts or shout outs and look I've, I've got so many people that have made contact so far so let's go through a few of them thank you to Robin who's listening in in Camden this morning in southwest Sydney Robin says Marcus it's great to hear you on air again Les uh, Les Baldwin Marcus I couldn't wait to hear you back on the radio your show will be compulsory listening for my wife and I good luck Although with the audience you had before, you won't need luck. Well, I think we'll need a bit of luck, but thank you, Les, and I hope you're enjoying it so far this morning. Ryan will be listening in the Central Coast. Thank you, Ryan. Mitchell Thornton, listening in Perth, King Prawn. Good on you, Mitchell. Thank you. Make sure you pass it on to everybody else. Pauline, listening in Shoal Bay. Anthony Villa, listening from the Sutherland Shire in Sydney. Thank you, Anthony. Uh, is it Semel? C-E-M-I-L or Camille? I think it might be Camille. 
Not sure. Listening in Frankston, Victoria, thank you. Uh, John O'Prior, listening in Maroochydore up there in Queensland, thank you. Dean Mays, just finishing up a, a night duty in the intensive care unit here in Adelaide. Long live the King Prawn. Good on you, Dean. Um, I hope you had a, a decent night and it wasn't too hard there. I love those that work in the health space. Well done to you. And um, I, look, I know that'd be a tough job. I don't think I could work in intensive care. Elliot's listening in Melbourne. Thank you, Elliot. Colleen Cooper, who was apparently at work, uh, but download the podcast. Okay, Colleen, hopefully you're hearing me on the potty tonight. Uh, Marcus Lang uh, goes by the nickname of Hoodie, listening in Livo, that's Liverpool in Sydney. Uh, Kyle Towers, listening on the Coffs Coast. Thank you, Kyle. Ricky Lawrence, listening in Shepparton, Victoria. Oh, Ben, here you go. Benjamin Atkinson. I don't even know if that's your real name, Ben, but anyway, Ben is listening in Moscow, Russia. Ben, you're an idiot. But I do like hearing from you. Daryl Lee's down, listening in Melbourne. Paul Dalton, listening from the Gold Coast. Aaron Parker, listening in Wollongong. Joseph Poole, listening in Townsville. Brett Ivory, listening in Perth. Joel Height, listening in Brisbane. Peter Calder, who's listening in in Orange. And Dane Sandberg, listening in in the Snowy Mountains area in Cooma. If you want a, a shout-out, all you got to do is go to the Marcus Paul in the Morning Facebook page and uh, you'll find the, uh, the section there and send us your shout-out. Let me know where you're listening to the program, whether you're listening to it live on iHeartRadio or Starter FM. Let me know if you're listening to the podcast or prawncast <laughs> afterwards. I'd love to hear from you. And, of course, you can comment on any of the stories that we put up after the main show podcast as well. Not too far away from hearing from Helen Dalton, um, now independent in New South Wales. Uh, Helen, of course, formerly of the Shooters, Fishers and Farmers Party until they turfed her out on Thursday. I don't think Helen minds so much. It's good. A fresh start and she will be able to now speak her mind a little more when it comes on issues regarding health in regional New South Wales and water management in particular. That's on the way with Helen. Marcus Paul in the morning, live on Starter FM and on the iHeart Radio app. All right, well, it's great to catch up with my water warrior, Helen Dalton. Now, those who listened to the previous program would know Helen and I spoke on a weekly basis about issues surrounding regional New South Wales. Although, Helen, I've noticed in the last week or so, has had to deal with a a heck of a lot more politics within politics, is what I'm going to call it. Uh, It's been reported there's been a spectacular falling out over water management, which has seen our water warrior, Murray M. Helen Dalton part ways with the New South Wales Shooters, Fishers and Farmers Party. She is now an independent. I have to say it caught me by surprise. Hello, Helen. Yeah, hi, Marcus. How are you? Oh, well, nice to talk to you. No, so... it's, lo- it's lovely to have a chat. I've, I've missed the uh, last couple of weeks. So, um, me too. Really, yeah, really looking forward to this conversation. Lovely. All right. Now, you, of course, won this seat at the Murray from the Nationals back in 2019. Uh, you're, you were the only female in the Shooters, Fishers and Farmers Party. Now, I would have thought you would have been an asset or a treasure to them. What's happened here? Well, we've had a parting of ways and a... And a obviously a parting of ideology too. Well, 
um, I'm still um, sticking to my um, thoughts on floodplain harvesting. But yeah. um, what happened uh, last Thursday week was um, we had a, a disallowance motion on floodplain harvesting. So Melinda Pavey put in some uh, regulations on a Friday afternoon at five o'clock, as she, uh, you know, as she did. This was the third, <laughs> the third lot. Nothing um, like a Friday afternoon for changes. That's for sure. And um, so what's what's happened? Were you know this would be um, the third time that we were. Um, um, the, the upper house MPs would um, come to a vote on those regulations because, uh, the, understandably, they were upset about that. And um, Robert Borzak, the leader of the SFF, told me that he would support the disallowance motion. So, in other words, throw those regs out and let's go through the correct process. And uh, right up until the day before, he said that he would support the disallowance motion. And then when it came to the vote last Thursday week ago, yeah. he abstained. And uh, he and Mark Benazzi, the other member, the SFF, abstained from voting, yeah. gave me no indication that they were going to do that, did not discuss that with me. And I just thought that that was um, just a, a bridge too far for me. Um, it was a very, it's very important for the lower Darling communities and the Murray River communities that he support that disallowance motion. And basically he sided with the National Party on, on water and, flood, you know, open slather for floodplain harvesting, which is not what should be done. Right, so effectively you've lost the support um, from the Shooters, Fishers and Farmers Party for your bill on floodplain harvesting. That's what it all boils down to, is that right? Well, that's right. I mean, it's not its not a bill. I mean, uh, we've been fighting off Melinda Pavey with her silly regulations yes. that she, she puts in. What we want the government to do, um, because we've had a an upper house inquiry into floodplain harvesting and the recommendations have been uh, brought down, we want the government to sit around with us and talk about those recommendations and how we can Im implement it. So at the moment, um, well, at the moment that those regulations have been thrown out, So, but we're wondering what, what else is going to be, um, you know, what's going to happen, whether they'll... Um, put in a, um, a rescinding motion mm. or not. But we really want to sit around and and discuss, uh, you know, what should be done. We have a new minister now, and that's Kevin Anderson, and he has indicated to me that he's wanting to talk, which is a far cry from the previous one. So um, I, I'm really keen to catch up with him. But if we're going to get more of the same, then it's going to be a battle again. And, and I'll continue to, to fight for the rights of Lower Darling and Murray River communities. Yeah, because you've always had concerns through um, the management of water in New South Wales and the Murray-Darling Basin. You've always had concerns that those at the southern end of the basin haven't been getting a fair deal. That's right. I mean, we had the fish kill in, in 2019, which was just horrendous. Yeah. And on the back of that, I think everyone in, um, in pretty much the world had a look at that and uh, mm. people in the Murray electorate were just so disgusted with what had happened. Yeah. Particularly, it was avoidable and particularly we had warned the then Water Minister, Niall Blair, that this would happen if they continued to manage the Menindee Lakes the way they were and they did not listen. And you know what? They're still not listening. I don't know what it's mm. going to take, but um, I think uh, now me leaving the, the 
SFF will give me the freedom to really um, speak out because they have tried to... Um, so you've been effectively hamstrung, if you like, by the uh, the Shooters, Fishers and Farmers Party in, in really speaking out uh, about your concerns for the excessive water take in the north of the, the basin. That's uh, right. I've, yeah. I've certainly had to... They've wanted me to moderate my comments. Sure. And that hasn't fitted well with me, but um, I've also been very critical of National Party MPs for towing the party line and... And so I just thought I refuse to do that, and mm. um, and so that's the action I've taken. I'm I'm pleased that I have now parted company, and I think that um, the Shooters, Fishers, and Par- Farmers Party were really a handbrake on me, and now I feel kind of that I've I can do the very very best for my for my electorate. All right, uh, it's been a little bitter uh, since you've split and become an independent. Now you had uh, what just shy of 28,000 people supporting you on social media, uh, I noticed your page had disappeared. What happened there? Did the uh, Shooters, Fishers and Farmers Party just uh, delete it? Yes, they've um, trashed my uh, Facebook page and, and <laughs> the sad bit about it is I've had my, my father passed away yes. um, three or four weeks ago and there were a near a thousand um, messages mm. of condolence on that page and photos of family and um, yeah. you know comments. So I've lost all that, which is a real shame and I've had family members coming to me um, saying, what are we going to do? We've lost all that. So What can you, know, you do? Have, well, I've asked the party, I asked the party director in an email if you wouldn't mind just giving my page back to me it's, it's yeah. my page originally my page they insisted in having control you know being um, administrator or whatever and we knew it was going to be um, it could be a problem mm. and we were trying to avoid all of that but in the you know I did think that they would be decent enough to give me back my page um, because it's it, it is my page but um, it seems not so at the moment so we are looking into trying to regain that and uh, can you appeal to to facebook themselves yes we're doing that now okay. so we're just waiting waiting on that but i'm hoping that we can restore that because i know people are wondering what's going on and um it's just very very disappointing behavior on the side of the shooters fishers and farmers party one uh, comment that i noticed that uh, the leader of the shooters fishers and farmers uh, had to say in the the media during the week in a in a statement he said that your position was untenable and here's the quote under the guise of supporting farmers and southern irrigators and unknowingly to the party helen continued to make quote hidden deals with justin fields and the greens party over the past few years for environmental water to flow further south into south australia Uh, this policy of quote appeasement and dealing with the extreme left flies directly in the face of what the Shooters, Fishers and Farmers stands for and what we promise to do for the people of Murray. Um, so effectively, uh, he's saying that you're pandering too much to the left, but you don't have the support of Labor. This is what I don't understand. Oh, look, I, I've read the I've read his media release a number of times. It's just really a, an incoherent hissy fit. I've done no deals with anyone. I don't want to see another uh, fish kill. I want to see uh, yeah. an equitable distribution of, of, of water. I want to see those rivers flowing and better, far better management. That's what I'm standing up. I'm standing up for the people of Murray. So yeah. I don't, I think Robert Borzak's, um has limited um, understanding or knowledge of water and even the communities out west. So um, if that's, you know, if I'm trying to make sure that our environmental needs are met, that our, 
um, certainly our agricultural needs are met and um, that uh, everyone gets a fair share. So mm. well, if that's I mean, what he's against, well, I'm, I'm pleased to be out of out of that party. Okay. Well, look, at the end of the day, uh, they, they can kick you off Facebook and you're not no longer part of the, the party as such, but they can't effectively gag you forever. As an independent, you say that you can actually um, increase your popularity in the uh, in the seat of Murray. I mean, you won the seat with a, a massive 26% swing against the Nationals, and what you must be pretty confident you can retain the seat and maybe even increase your margin now that you've left the Shooters. I think so, and uh, and we've worked really hard on not just water, but um, on um, health and education, uh, digital connectivity, infrastructure. So people in my electorate know that we're myself and my staff are very very dedicated to getting a, a better deal for the electorate. Yeah. And um, I feel confident that we will be able to to maintain, or I should be re-elected mm. um, next year, which is only twelve months away yes. from the election. Yep. And um, and that's all I can do is I, I've got my north star. I, I just want to make those improvements mm. um, for for the seat of Murray. Um, I've noted that Robert Borzak's also uh, commented and says I'm a, a single issue. Um, you know, person, which is which is not true at all. We we even had um, uh, talked about foster care and all those things. Well, you and I have discussed health. many issues: mental health, uh, foster care, as you say, and in particular uh, the lack of health facilities at Griffith Base Hospital and others. I mean, you and I have spoken in the last couple of years on so many different issues, not just water. I mean, obviously we call you the water warrior because that's been one of the key factors, uh, understandably, that you've been fighting for in the Murray, and that is an equitable share of the resource of water for everybody, uh, no matter whether you're in the north or the south of the Murray-Darling Basin. So, you know, calling you a, a one-issue politician is just rubbish. It is, and even uh, last when we were last in Parliament, we had a, a forum um, on um, foster care to, to try and encourage the government or, or, or you know, to um, increase the foster care from 18 years to 21 so yeah. that they're not... Um, uh, you know, just abandoned when they turn 18. And that support was, uh, you know, we had uh, everyone from basically all political persuasions at the forum yeah. listening to some of the, the kids that were explaining their situation. And so I will unashamedly speak to everyone about certain issues and um, and those issues that affect my electorate. And uh, I think there, there's the the proof in the pudding there, really, mm. when um, you've got the Greens, Independence, Coalition, Labor, um, all at that forum, all very interested. So we'll hopefully um, make some ground with that. And I'll certainly be talking to the Premier, Dominic Perrottet, about that because it's um, uh, really cost effective and, and who wants to turf their kid out at 18 anyway? So, yeah. you know, so, yeah, there's lots of issues. Certainly water was, um, I mean, that the terrible fish kill we had in 20, 2019 was probably Probably a big catalyst for me winning the seat, but I'm not. I'm certainly not a one-issue person. Mm. I deal with all issues that are impact on the seat of Murray. <clears throat> all right. Well, <clears throat> you and I will continue to discuss these and more issues uh, here on Marcus Paul in the morning, as always, Helen. It's great to talk to you. Uh, do you still get to keep that nice little office there in Parliament oh, House, yes. or do you get you get you, you stay there, or are they kicked you out of the office too? Well, um, I can request that the office be put somewhere else because um, mm. you know with the, perhaps the other independents. Now I'm the fourth independent. There's three others. <laughs> yes. Um, so I can I can request that, but I'm not particularly...
particularly worried about that. I've no, got, no, fair uh, enough. Yeah, but um, no, it's um, everything will stay the same in a way. Okay. Uh, as far as I know, I've had a lot of um, people coming in on, um, you know, Facebook or messaging mm-hmm. me going, oh, my God, are you going to lose your staff? Are you going to lose the offices, you know, at Griffith, Denny or Baronga? What's going to happen to What's going to happen to all that? You know, we, we know you're No, well, you're still stuff. an elected member of parliament. So exactly. Yes, yes. Yeah, so nothing, all it'll change was probably my branding and yep. um, and I'll proudly be saying I'm an independent. All right, Helen, great to talk. I'm sorry that this has all uh, taken place in the last couple of weeks, but I think it'll make you stronger. I think it'll make your causes a lot stronger as well. And it may mean you're less hamstrung to talk about the issues that you want to talk about and and fight for the people of your electorate in Murray. Good to chat. No, thanks, Marcus. It's great to... to, to... Okay, welcome back. Marcus Paul in the morning live on Starter and the iHeartRadio app. Look, so much has been written and said about Shane Keith Warne, Australia's greatest ever bowler in my mind anyway. Uh, Certainly up there with uh, Lily, Tomo and the rest of them. I'll have my say on Warney and his sad demise and passing a little later for you. Meantime, this caught my attention over the weekends. With just weeks until the federal election, Labor, we're told, is scrambling to put together a, quote, dirt unit, unquote, after a war game of its election campaign revealed the party has a lack of research on its opponents. Well, this is written in the Murdoch press, so uh, (laughs) I'll take it with a grain of salt, but I'll, I'll persevere. The war game, which was run by Julia Gillard's former chief of staff, a bloke by the name of Ben Hubbard, was held last month at Labor's Whitlam Square campaign quarters, headquarters that is, in Surrey Hill, Sydney. The campaign trail was designed to stress test Labor's campaign readiness for the general election, which is expected, of course, to be called this month. Yep, come on, ScoMo, hurry up, call it. And, of course, the the federal election needs to be held in May. Now, Labor insiders have apparently told News Corp it revealed the party was lacking research on its opponents. (laughs) They have no shit sheets, quote unquote. No ammo in the can, one insider said. Under former leader Bill Shorten, Labor ran a dedicated opposition research unit that regularly fed stories to the media on the ALP opponents. The team is believed to have been responsible for digging up the Choppergate scandal that led to the downfall of Speaker Bromwyn Bishop. It was also responsible for the story that led to the resignation of Susan Lee, who of course used a com car on the way to buy an apartment. Look, a number of Labor insiders said that in recent years, the party had dropped the ball on opposition research. Well, hang on. All they need to do is download a friendly Geordie's YouTube video clip. I mean, the one he did on Peter Dutton the other day was outstanding. I mean, don't worry about a dirt unit. Just <laughs> just get Jordan involved. Anyway, and, and get him to pass on all of the, uh, what do they call it in the, you know, in the legal fraternity? Discovery. Yeah, pass on all the discovery, Jordan, Christo. Uh, get it to them as soon as possible. I don't know. Anyway, the insider said campaign bosses had since moved to remedy the situation with the New South Wales Senate staffer appointed director of scrutiny. <laughs> Don't you love that title? Director of Scrutiny. It's your job to draw up some shit sheets. Yeah, this Director of Scrutiny will run the party's opposition research unit, quote, dirt unit, with a plan to hire more staff. I might get a gig there. Anyway, another Labor figure denied Labor had fallen down on its dirt digging. He said it's not true to say there was nothing in the cupboard. <laughs> 
He said the person who had been doing the job of opposition research had been reassigned. Labor National Secretary Paul Erickson said he had no public comment to make about Labor's campaign. Good on him. (laughs) I wouldn't be making a comment if I was Labor's uh, campaign strategist or manager. Certainly not to News Corp. Anyway, so that's just something I found very interesting. Imagine that as your job. Is it something you'd like to do? It'd be interesting, wouldn't it? Your job is to draw up a shit sheet on those who are in power. (laughs) Dear idea. Anyway, if you want to have your say on that or any of the other stories we've spoken about on the program so far this morning, you can do so. Uh, Leave your comment on the Marcus Paul in the Morning Facebook page. You'll be able to see where to do that. All right, Marcus Paul in the Morning, live. We're on the Starter FM website, starterfm.com.au, and, of course, on the iHeartRadio app and on TuneIn Radio as well. Yeah, nice to have your company on this Monday. Marcus Paul in the morning, live on Starter and the iHeartRadio app. I thought I'd just uh, mention what's happening in Europe at the moment. Of course, we all know Ukraine are under attack from the Russians. Uh, But I I want to refer to something written over the weekend by James Weir. And... (laughs) He's talking about what happened on Q&A last week. Are are you still watching it? Uh, I tend to watch it as often as I can, even if I don't watch it live, I'll watch it on iView, just so I can hear what some people are saying. Uh, Just like I try and consume as much media as I can. Anyway, I'll refer to James's article and make my own points on this, and, and maybe you'd like to have your say as well on the Facebook page. James writes, So, something finally happened on ABC's Q&A. It might have taken a random guy throwing his support behind Vladimir Putin's invasion of Ukraine, but it finally got us all talking about a show we had kind of forgotten about. Thursday night's controversial on-air moment had all the elements of compelling live television. Shock, suspense, drama, and someone being booed and then banished. Yeah, I don't ever recall anybody getting kicked out of Q&A before. Um, I, I'm probably wrong, but I can't recall personally seeing it. Anyway, um, believe it or not, this uh, this young bloke who was kicked out, Sasha Gillies-Lakakis is his name, he said, uh, basically rose, asked a question which was apparently pre-approved along these lines. Believe it or not, there are a lot of Russians here and around the world who support what Putin is doing in Ukraine, myself included. In the rest of his question, he appeared to advocate retaliatory violence. When the audience heckled this bloke who's a university student, Stan Grant, the host, swiftly tried to smooth over the remark before throwing it over for the panellists to bat around and talk about. But 20 minutes later, something strange happened. A delayed reaction. Producers were probably in the control room, maybe freaking out that they'd missed the opportunity to create some noise or just anticipating the backlash that might come from airing such inflammatory views. That's when Stan finally snapped. He kicked into action and dramatically stopped the show to single out the university student. Something has been bothering me, the host declared. People here have been talking about family who are suffering and people who are dying. Can I just say, I'm not comfortable with you being here. Could you please leave? He goes on to say, Sasha, I'm sorry. You can ask a question, but we cannot advocate violence. I should have asked you to leave when you initially asked the question. Anyway, 
<laughs> Apparently, this this young university student was booed and portrayed as a villain, and then he had his say, I think, in The Guardian or other media in the days following. But it brings me to the point in relation to uh, what's happening with the invasion of Ukraine. I think the vast majority of people disagree with what this young university student, Sasha, has had to say. Uh, look, I'm sure there are some, but I doubt even in Russia itself that Vladimir Putin has the support of his own people. I mean, certainly some of the uh, troops, the Russian troops that have been captured and some that have been able to speak out basically have said, we don't want him want to be here. I think Vladimir Putin is unhinged, to be perfectly honest. He wants things the way they once were in a new world, and that's not going to be the case. He wants to reform Russia into what it used to be. You know, just I'm simplifying it, of course, but he wants Ukrainian territory and other territories it's pretty obvious. He wants to expand the once mighty Russian Empire. Go back to the USSR days of the Soviet Union. Well, I don't think the West, no matter, even though NATO is a bit of a paper, a paper tiger, I don't think the West will cop it. Absolutely not. Anyway, what are your thoughts on the latest from the Ukraine. Just back to James Weir and his article, which uh, prompted me bringing this up. He says that what happened with this young university student being banished from Q&A is the exact kind of spectacle that the once very popular compulsory viewing Q&A needs to climb out of its slump. A scheduling change last year from Monday to Thursday. See, I, I could never understand that. Q&A was big on a Monday. You know, you need a discussion like a forum, a panel to help set the news agenda for the week. What's the point of running it on Thursday? You know, on Friday, most parliaments have gone home for the weekend. I think it's uh, it, it needs to go back to Monday. But anyway, uh, as you know, it, it went to Thursday. There's been a rotating cast of hosts and it led to a viewership nosedive and soon the program clocked its lowest ever ratings at just 228,000 across all metropolitan cities. It's a problem that has hung around for a while. Now, Thursday's episode failed to crack the top 20 programs of the night, which has become the norm. Uh, as I say, and James Weir says, remember when Q&A was was must-watch television. It really picked up in 2010 when it introduced the Twitter feed. Comments and questions from social media users would pop up on the screen and help shape the show's actual conversation in real time. Twitter was still new and fun. Now it's just whinges and wordle scores, according to James Weir. Anyway, it was event viewing. Political history, of course, was unfolding on our television screens on Q&A, like that time when Malcolm Turnbull rocked up to the panel while we're wearing an edgy leather jacket, or when someone threw a shoe at John Howard. Remember that? You know, these were what they call in the biz water cooler moments. Anyway, they need to bring back, argues James, where I agree with him, a little bit of pizzazz if they want to make Q&A good again. What do you, uh, anyway, what do you make of the host? Are you happy with Stan Grant? Or should there be another host, perhaps? I reckon Lee Sales would be pretty good now that she's, you know, absconded from the 7.30 report. I think she'd be great. Marcus Paul in the morning live around Australia. We're on the Starter FM website, starterfm.com.au and of course on the iHeartRadio app and on TuneIn Radio as well. Okay, welcome back. Look, so much has been said, so much has been written, so much television and radio airtime has been spent on paying homage to the late, uh, gee, I can't believe I'm saying it, the late 
great Shane Warne. Look, there's no doubt he was a polarising figure. I loved Shane as a bowler, and I actually didn't mind him as a media personality because he cut through. You know, I like a bloke who speaks his mind and isn't as politically correct as the others. And he copped a, a bit of shellacking in the public. Uh, many thought he was arrogant in his, uh, you know, post-playing days as a commentator in, um, you know, I think he was with, what, Fox or somebody? Anyway, I thought he was great. And I've always admired a bloke who makes his own way. And anybody who's a little overweight, smokes and drinks, yet reaches the pinnacle of his chosen field has my vote. Anyway, not that I'm advocating those things, of course, but at 52 to die of a heart attack, oh dear. I mean, the world was in shock following the devastating death of cricketing legend Shane Warne. Aged just 52, we know what happened now. He was found unresponsive in a villa in Koh Samui, Thailand, and he died suddenly of a suspected heart attack. Now, more has been revealed over the course of the weekend that uh, Shane had been seeing a heart specialist back home here in Australia and he was a little unwell. But he was also apparently on a bit of a health kick. That was a part of why he was over in Thailand, you know, wanting to get back to a, uh, a fitter physique and, and look after himself a little bit more. But, you know, to, uh, to die of a heart attack so young, I think he lived uh, a bit of a party life. I don't think there was any doubt about that. He was <laughs> the life of the party. Some might call him a party animal. Look, it's awful, though, regardless. Even, you know, attempts by his close friend and associate, Andrew. Uh, I can't say this. I don't know if this guy's Sir Neo for two. Anyway, apparently his business partner tried to revive him for nearly 30 minutes. Could you imagine? There'd be nothing worse, would there? You know, you've got a really good mate who's collapsed unresponsive yeah you rip their shirt off and you start doing cpr mouth-to-mouth resuscitation oh gee it'd be tough it really would be tough anyway and when um paramedics ambos arrived uh they found that there was nothing that could be done and it's devastating it really is a statement was put out after midnight australian time advising that warner died suddenly just hours after playing a paying rather tribute to another cricketing legend in rod marsh so we lost two in two days rod marsh i think either passed on wednesday or thursday might have been wednesday and warning on the front Friday. Um, it read, it is with great sadness we advise that Shane Keith Warne passed away of a suspected heart attack in Kosamui, Thailand. Today, Friday, 4th of March, Shane was found unresponsive in his villa and despite the best efforts of medical staff, he could not be revived. Well, his legend will remain. Absolutely. I remember taking my young bloke when he was younger to watch Shane Warne play at the SCG. I was actually at the ground when he picked up his record-breaking 700. 100th wicket. It was amazing. He was perhaps cricket's greatest modern day superstar. 708 wickets, thank you very much. In a test career that was nothing short of sensational. Having re- achieved pretty much every accolade the game has to offer as a player, Warren was one of the most recognisable commentators on the game globally and the star, yeah, Fox Cricket, that's who he worked for. He was the star. And <laughs> he got them news and headlines through some of the quite outlandish and un 
PC things that he would say. So many responses immediately by cricketing greats across the world. So many of them. I, I, it'd take me two days to go through them all. But Australia's team, I mean, they were just getting back to their hotel in Pakistan after a pretty disappointing day one of their first test against the Packies. And they would have been devastated. I mean, less than 12 hours before his own tragic passing, Shane Warne had also paid tribute to the greats wicketkeeper Rod Marsh. He died 74, also of a heart attack. Look, I agree and applaud the Victorian Cricket Association for naming a stand in Shane Warne's honour. They've already got a bust down there, haven't they? Already got a statue of the great Shane Warne, but I think it's a a fitting tribute that a bloke who brought so much joy and, uh, let's face it, so much money to the game of cricket, I think it's um, fair and just that he's uh, remembered and honoured in this way. He will have a state funeral at some point and uh, and the shock will continue. Vale, shame warned. So you've just tested positive. I know diarrhea is a symptom. Have you been uh, shitting yourself lately? Too soon. Too soon. Okay, I'm sorry. There were rumours that you two had broken up and that Scott was banging another woman. Is is this true? He broke up because he was keen on another girl. You're kidding. It, it wasn't Gladys, was it? No, I was an idiot. It was a stupid decision. On Russia, you guys said you would stand up to bullies. What would you do if Putin sent troops down to Australia? <laughs> Run! <laughs> <laughs> Uh, wouldn't be the first time you guys go missing. Maybe another Hawaii trip. Yeah, no, that's probably what I'd say. Alrighty, well, that is it for the very first of our programs here on Starter FM and on your favourite radio app, iHeartRadio. Uh, tune in, no matter which way you've listened to us today. I hope you've enjoyed the program. I, I think it was all right for the for our first attempt. Uh, please let everybody know that uh, we're going to do this each and every day. Uh, initially, this for a couple of hours, live between 7 and 9 a.m. And if you want to listen back, or if someone you know has missed it that wants to listen into what we're doing here, there'll be a podcast up on the Marcus Paul in the Morning and the Starter FM Facebook pages a little later today. All right, so how do you get involved? If you haven't already, download the um, uh, iHeartRadio app, tune in or click on the Starter FM. Please give all of our our pages a like. Now, if you want to have your say, um, we will prawncast or podcast this. uh, And below in the comments, just leave your thoughts. Uh, Maybe you want to say something about my chat with Helen Dalton. Uh, Maybe you'd like to comment on what I had to say today about Shane Warne or the cost of living pressures, mortgage stress. Maybe you'd like to have your say and give me your thoughts as I did to you on the Ukrainian situation. Whatever it is, I would love to hear from you. Um, And also leave your details there so again on the program tomorrow, we can give you a shout out. 
All right, well, that's it. Prawny out. I hope you have a wonderful, safe Monday. For those that are in flood-affected areas around the country, please stay safe. Remember, if it's flooded, forget it. Thank you very much, as always, to the Angels in Orange, the SES, and those first responders, police, ambos, fireys, and everybody within the community. There's nothing better than the strength of a volunteer or the heart of a volunteer. So many people, volunteer organisations and associations around the country that have come together, not just in places like Lismore, but in Brisbane, down on the mid-north coast, further down into Sydney, out there in Richmond, Windsor and other flood-affected areas. Thank you, everybody, for all of the wonderful work you've done. Don't forget, if you are affected by floods, you are entitled to some government money, okay? There's a whole range of, uh, of money that's available. Just check the Australian government website to see what it is that perhaps you are entitled to. Never be afraid. Remember, it's your money. It's just being recycled back, okay? So if you're uh, in some dire straits, you need a helping hand. Of course, make sure you reach out. Uh, to the government. Just be a little weary. I mentioned this in one of my broadcasts last week. Be a little weary of who, uh, if you're not affected by floods, who you may choose to donate to. Personally, I'd steer clear of any of the mob that took money around the bushfire time, okay? Because there's no guarantees they'll pass it on. And to be perfectly honest, this is the emergency, the current flood emergency, where they should be passing on the money we gave to them during the bushfires, surely. Anyway, there's plenty to talk about uh, throughout the course of the week. We'll be back tomorrow morning from 7 to 9 in another Prawncast podcast. It's Marcus Paul in the morning. Have a great day. We'll talk to you tomorrow. Bye for now.